This is the Positive Psychology Podcast, episode 65. Welcome to the Positive Psychology Podcast, bringing your earbuds the science of the good life. And now your host, Kristen Trumpy. Today I have Shannon Polly with me. She is a coach, facilitator, speaker, and among the first 150 people ever to receive a master's in positive psychology. She is the co-editor of Character Strengths Matter and that's the part which I'm really excited about. She also has a degree in music and drama is therefore the perfect person to talk about unexpected ways to bring positive psychology into our life. Welcome, Shannon. Thank you so much for having me, Kristen. I'm happy to be here. Cool. So how did you get into positive psychology, especially from the background that you have? <laughs> that's a very good question. Um, well, I have always been fascinated with people and personalities, and that's what theater is. So at Yale, it wasn't just studying the technique of acting. You were also studying the culture that the character lived in. You know, if you're doing a Shakespearean play, you're also studying Tudor English architecture. So you're really getting the whole view of of a person. And there was a point in my acting career that I realized I didn't feel like I was really contributing uh, back to society as much as I could be. I know that artists definitely contribute to society. And I think it's the pillar from Marty Seligman's original theory of happiness, which was around meaning. And I wanted to create more meaning. So I started looking at going back to school and how my skills could be translatable into other professions. And I originally looked at a PhD program in clinical psych, and I realized that my personality is not suited to people who are, uh, say, clinically diagnosed and are struggling. I'm, I'm more suited to people who are high-functioning and helping them perform better. And when I was looking at programs, the coaching programs out there were not evidence-based. It was sort of like every, every life coach who said they were a coach could hang out a shingle, and I really wanted something that has some meat behind it. And one of my colleagues told me about the MAP program at the University of Pennsylvania. And I thought, wow, that's sort of a perfect combination. Because at that point, I'd been doing leadership development training in businesses, and I saw that there was a real need for new, new techniques, new ideas in leadership development. And it was evidence-based. So I was fortunate enough to uh, be accepted into the fourth MAP class. And that was sort of how I, how I found my way to positive psychology. Cool. So did you, from the beginning, understand that your background would actually be helpful? Or was that a surprise to you? Or what happened? That's a good question. I think sometimes people are initially confused as to how I got from theater to leadership development and training and coaching and speaking. And then once I explain the transition, they definitely see the link. Um, when I went to the MAP program, though, the only other actor that had gone through the program who was in the first class was a comedian, um, Yakov Smirnov. And so 
I, I'm not sure how much he's done with um, positive psychology, but because he was at such a high level, there wasn't anything that really combined the research in positive psychology with the positive humanities or arts or theater. And luckily, now that it's been over 10 years since the MAP program has, has um, been around, James Pawelski, who runs the MAP program, has started a field, or developed a field called the positive humanities, although he ha doesn't have as much theater in there as I would like. <laughs> I'm pushing him on that. Um, but to, to answer your question in a short way, it was not immediately apparent that there would be a direct link between theater and positive psychology, uh, but there definitely is a link between facilitation and training and coaching and speaking. So, um, so it's sort of a both, a both and, as it were. Right. So can you talk about the first times when you started to implement your experience into your leadership development and your facilitation and all that? Sure. Well, my very first job doing leadership development was actually teaching improv to business people. So we teach them uh, improvisation to help facilitate communication skills, to help facilitate empathy, building, connection, and how to manage difficult conversations. And it's work that I continue to do today. And it was fascinating to me because I thought, wow, they, you know, theater and improv seems like this mystical, mystical thing that, you know, improv seems like it has no rules and theater seems like people are just born with these skills of ways of speaking, when in reality, it's, there are rules and it's about hard work. So it was exciting to um, sort of stretch these business people out from behind their desks and, and make them try on something new and, and probably a little scary for them. Right. So I saw an improv show for the first time actually in last June. And I okay. loved it so much that I thought, I totally want to get into it, but I'm keeping it as a joker. So the next time I feel, you know, a, bit, a little bit blue and think like, oh, it's neither going forwards nor backwards, I will totally get into improv. Now, I think from what I've seen that it's actually a beautiful way to what you said, to learn a new way of communicating with each other because of the rules that you mentioned now. Even for those who are not very interested in improv, please, can you just talk a, few, a little bit about the basic rules of improv, just so that sure. people understand why it's helpful and useful? Sure. So when you're watching something like Whose Line Is It Anyway, it looks like Whoopi Goldberg and they all just jump up there and they don't have any rules. In reality, the one of the first basic rules of improv is the yes and. And it means something very specific in improv. So the yes means that you accept the offer that your partner gives you. And the and means you build with it. Now, an offer in improv is anything anyone says or does. So if someone rolls their eyes, that's an offer. If someone points their finger at you and says, stick them up, that's an offer. And if you build with it and say, ah, don't shoot me, then the scene keeps going. But if they point their finger at you and you say, ah, oh, that's not a gun, that's just your finger, then the scene dies. 
Uh, and if you think of any conversation you have with another human being as a scene, the other principle of improv that's really important is to make your partner look good. And when I teach this in businesses, of course, leaders love this because, you know, they don't want to be undermined by the people they work with. So when you make your partner look good, the whole scene looks good and everybody succeeds. And if you try to look better than your partner or make them look bad, then the whole scene dies. And there are direct parallels to, to the business world, both with, you know, what is the offer that someone is giving you that you maybe maybe you don't want <laughs> that offer. Uh, how can you yes and the offer instead of no but the offer, which is usually what happens in many times in meetings. And how can you make your partner look good? Right. So I know that you talk about this topic and um, the whole idea of speaking and using these kind of words and rules and stuff in your book. Now, would you mind reading a bit from it and making a little demonstration? Uh, sure. Well, let me tell you a little bit about the book first. Uh, it's called Character Strengths Matter, How to Live a Full Life. And I co-edited it with Catherine Britton, who is the curator and editor of Positive Psychology News Daily. And uh, we had over 30 authors contribute to the book. So while I was an editor, I, I sometimes hesitate to call it my book because there were... 30 people contributing and lots of people supporting it. Um, and one of the main principles of the book, what makes it a unique way in dealing with strengths, is that it's about how can you act as if you have a strength. So the way the book is structured is that first there's an article about the strength, which originally appeared on Positive Psychology News. Then there are five ways to build the strength, which comes from Tayyab Rashid's wonderful list. And it's not at all exhaustive, but there's, there are other ways, um, more ways to build them. And there's a bit.ly in the book. And then the third part is a monologue, a poem, or a uh, speech from a well-known historical figure about how to embody the strength. So, we tried to pick a variety of monologues, speeches, poems that were from men, um, some that were from women, uh, some that were from plays, uh, even number that were from speeches. And so we, um, it was pretty, it was challenging to try to get the rights to all of them, but it's exciting because it's a new principle for a lot of people that, you know, and it, it actually comes from both from psychology and from, the theater. So Stanislavski talked about the acting as if, um, pretend, you know, kids do this all the time and we lose it. And so did Alfred Adler, the well-known psychologist, and Daryl Bem, the social psychologist, talks about why it works, which is you act as if you have a strength or a characteristic, and then you watch yourself and say, oh, wow, I, I was trying to be empathetic. And look, I'm really empathetic right there. So that's a little background on the book, but let me read. Um, let me read this. This is the Farewell to Yankees Fans by Lou Gehrig. So Lou Gehrig was a famous baseball player in the states, and he contracted something which ALS, which they now call Lou Gehrig's disease. And this was one of his last speeches. And I like reading it because the book 
it's also not gender specific. You can read something by a man or by a woman and still work on embodying that strength. And then I'll ask you what strength you think this speech, uh, what, what chapter it was for. So that'll cool. be our little test. Okay. I've been in ballparks for 17 years and have never received anything but kindness and encouragement. Look at these grand men. Which of you wouldn't consider it the highlight of his career to associate with them even for one day? When the New York Giants, a team you would give your right arm to beat, sends you a gift, that's something. When everybody down to the groundkeepers remember you with trophies, that's something. When you have a father and mother who work all their lives so that you can have an education, that's something. When you have a wife who has been the tower of strength and shown more courage than you dreamed existed, that's something. So I close in saying that I might have had a tough break, but today I consider myself the luckiest man on the face of the earth. Gratitude from the beginning, I thought, before he said he's the luckiest man on the earth. Ah, very good. Yes. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> You're right. I'm, I'm actually really happy that you bring this up because this is one thing that in my MAP class, we discussed this before the field of positive humanities was announced. Mm -hmm. And none of us had a background in acting, but we were all people who were either, you know, self-taught or otherwise really interested in creative writing. And some of us had a degree in it. And we really felt that literature in itself had so many examples um, about character strengths, but also when you develop any of these skills that you need to be able to be a creative writer, you learn to notice stuff, you learn to appreciate stuff, you learn so much by engaging with the humanities. So I'm, I'm super happy that you're, that you're bringing this up. And another thing I'd like to you know, share at this moment is that when I was studying English, what I did was actually I took uh, the play from Oscar Wilde, The Importance to be Earnest. Ah. And I just read the thing in different voices, you know, yeah. so so I would just walk around. And I remember like the one of the biggest problems my classmates had when they were trying to learn pronunciation was that they were all afraid to sound weird or dumb. So, so they never yeah. got over, you know, having the Swiss accent simply because they never dared to try out something else. Whereas for me, I was just like, you know, walking around and then leave like, Ernest, there were no cucumber sandwiches on the market. And <laughs> I was, I mean, it was, it sounds retarded, but I was cracking myself up. So before I knew anything about positive emotions and all of that, I was like, this stuff is actually fun if you forget the fact that you're an adult <laughs> you just go yeah. with it so so yeah i mean that's so cool i'm so excited about the field of positive humanities do you have any yeah. other examples to share or anything that you do with your clients or stories or anything like that sure well there's a, a very famous ted talk um have you seen the ted talk by amy cuddy Yes, on I have. power poses. Yeah. But my listeners yeah. may have not, so please explain. Oh, okay. So Amy Cuddy is a social science researcher from Harvard, 
And she noticed that the women and the non-white males in her class were not performing as well as the white males. And so she devised an experiment where she would put them in a power pose, like your hands on your hips, Wonder Woman, the uh, leaning over the desk, like the tough executive, um, leaning back in your chair with your feet on the desk, that sort of thing. And she had the students do this for two minutes, and she tested beforehand, she tested their testosterone levels and their cortisol levels before and after. And then she had them go into a mock interview. And they dropped the pose for the interview. <laughs> so what she noticed was that the, their cortisol, the stress hormone, went down, and the testosterone went up. Now, there's been some recent... Um, attempts at replicating this study that were not successful. And so some of the research has been, you know, called into question by other researchers. Now, Amy Cuddy, who has a new book out called Presence, is standing by her research. And I have seen it work with my clients. So I had a senior director at an accounting firm, and he had a big interview coming up for BBC World that was like 4 million people going to be listening. And I told him about the power poses and I thought, I don't know if this guy is going to buy it. And he was, he was really into it. He said, I like, I like the physical thing. Yeah, I'm going to try that. And I said, so, you know, you need to, when are you going to do this? And he said, well, I guess I'll do it in my car, in the car on the way to the interview. Said, yeah, you might want to schedule a little time to give yourself a little buffer because these, you know, these folks schedule everything down by the minute. He said, okay, good. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to schedule a little time and schedule some time afterwards to save her. And he did his power poses, and he came across very effectively, and he felt more confident as well. And there's a lot of research to that effect that, you know, the research on smiling, that when you, you know, people who were put a pen in their mouth that simulated smiling were happier than people who put a frown, a pencil in, in between their forehead that made them frown. So, there are a lot of somatic interventions that I really like using with my clients because I find sometimes it, it circumvents the overthinking that we can fall prey to. I'm fascinated by that, and I would like to hear more about it. Before I go on, though, I have a question about authenticity. Mm. <laughs> Where does that come into? I'm so glad you asked. So this is the myth of acting, that acting is fake, and that it's about being someone you're not. When in reality, you have to tap into another part of yourself, some part of yourself in order to be able to access that part of you. And this whole idea that we have a fixed sense of self is, is false. <laughs> so I am a different person when I am with my kids than I'm with my boss than I am with my husband or my parents. And those are different performances. Those are different parts of me, but I am, I am authentic in myself in each of those performances. Now I wouldn't mix up those performances. I wouldn't, you know, perform as mom with my boss and say, Gucci, Gucci, goo, your tie is so cute today. You know, you keep, <laughs> but, it, but it's interesting to see those performances that we take on, and it is possible to both 
try on something new and be authentic at the same time. Um, but what I find is interesting is that no one, you know, when Michael Jordan is trying out a new jump shot, no one says, that's not really authentic because that's not the way you've done your jump shot before. You need to do it the way you've always done it. <laughs> so we let athletes try on new things, but for some reason, when, uh, you know, when someone tries on something new, which aligns with personality, we have this fear of like, I'm not being true to myself. So it's, uh, you know, Amy Cuddy says, fake it until you become it. I don't, I don't really like the fake it till you make it phrase because I think it implies an authenticity. Um, however, I think that it, it is authentic to grow and develop and, and you have to try new things to do that. So what do you think about that? I, I love that explanation. And I think it's, it's sort of, it's sort of the thing about these polar opposites, so to speak, like authenticity versus inauthenticity and all of that. It's just very often I find that, at least to me, when I think like, okay, now I have to be authentic or I want to be authentic, that might mean one thing. But when I act out something else, I actually, you know, discover, wow, wait, this is actually true. There is a part of me that likes this you know i mean before i did the oscar wilde thing i had no idea that that i had any because i had never done any acting anything like that no public speaking nothing like that so i had no clue that these mm -hmm. things were actually they, they that they make me you know that they make me laugh that i feel actually quite happy being a performer sometimes you know like even if mm -hmm. it's just with an audience of zero and I'm just cracking myself up, you know, and, and I didn't know that before I tried that out. And, and that's a thing that I learned, a personal lesson that I learned um, not that long ago is actually when you kind of hold on to your own, own authenticity, you know, like too stubbornly, that mm -hmm. actually it often means that you're denying other parts of yourself. Mm -hmm. That's a great way to, to say that. Uh, you're, you're denying the possibility of, of change and of trying something new. And I think we're so afraid of change and we're afraid of what other people's responses are going to be. And, and frankly, people don't like it when you change. They want to put you in a box. So it's not entirely wrong um, to be afraid of change, but that can keep you from growing at times. I also want to add as a side that we actually chose a monologue from The Importance of Being, Being Earnest uh, by Lady Bracknell for the book. So I love that that's that you walked around saying <laughs> some of those delicious phrases aloud. They're, they're pretty fun. <laughs> cool, cool, cool. How do you help your own clients? Because the things that we just talked about, the doubts that people have, have how do you help people? Because I, I think it's, I mean, you said now that the leaders love this, but you might have some clients who don't or who don't get the point or who feel silly about embodying stuff or trying anything that's not pencil and paper and serious and straightforward. Yeah, that's a great question. Well, you know, it has to fit with people's personality. So they have to be willing to go there. Um, I think Sonia Lubomirsky does a good job in the how of happiness of talking about how, you know, all these interventions are not one size fits all. And you have to really see what, what's going to work for your clients. 
That being said, I think the majority of the people I work with, at least the ones in North America, we are very much, we act like we're disembodied heads. We act like we're just these heads that don't have bodies connected to them. And all of the research from John Rady, um, you know, the research on physical well-being and physical health, that exercise leads to our well-being. You know, if it's someone who's really heady, and I really think that a physical intervention or a somatic intervention will be good, will work for them, then I'll pull out some of the research and I'll pull out some data on, you know, why these work. I'll have them watch the Amy Cuddy TED Talk. If they're not willing to just go with me and stand in a power pose, um, then, then I'll have them look at the research to, to back it up. And then it is sometimes talking through what are those deeply held beliefs, those uh, beliefs that keep us from, as you said, acting silly or um, that are afraid, we're afraid to sound weird. Well, where do those beliefs come from? And, and uh, are they true? Are they, are they serving you anymore? So sometimes it takes a little digging as to, um, and some of the cognitive behavioral therapy tools work for me, you know, um, Beck and Ellis, the ABCDE model is very helpful to get at, you know, what's, what's your activating event? What is your thought about what happened? And what's the consequence? And then how do you dispute that thought? So I, I sort of take a different tack with each client. It depends on what I think will, will work with each of them. Cool, cool. Is there anything else you'd like to share with my listener or any listeners or any challenge you have for them? <laughs> well, I would love to encourage people to go to Amazon and to buy Character Strengths Matter, How to Live a Full Life. And I will say that all of the proceeds from the book go to a scholarship at the University of Pennsylvania to honor our dear professor, Chris Peterson, who developed the VIA Character Strength Survey and who um, passed away two years ago. So uh, if people want to do that, that would be lovely. Um, you can learn more about this kind of work at shannonpolly.com. And I would also highlight uh, my colleague, Michelle McQuaid, is doing a strength challenge starting um, February 8th, I believe. And it's a good way to think about strength and to try new things and try to create a new habit and have some collective support for that. So those are just a few ways you can keep the good work going. Cool. Thank you very much. Now, do you have five more minutes? Yes. Because, all right, okay, so listeners, for those of you who are, you know, serious, just want the information, don't want the goofy stuff, you can, you know, press stop now. And <laughs> Shannon and I will try to do a little bit of impromptu improv. Uh, the stacks are, you know, they are against me because I have never done this in my life. I only <laughs> have seen it very recently, actually, Sunday night. <laughs> for the last uh, oh, time right. so so you know why don't you just give me something or i give you something and we do a little bit you know one or two or three minutes and see what happens okay do you want to do a sort of uh yes and like exercise that's a tool your listeners could use or do you want to do like an improv scene an improv scene 
Okay, let's do the scene. All right. So, Kristen, there's a murderer on the loose. And I don't know what we're going to do about it. We're holed up here in this cell. What do you think? A murderer on the loose? Well, how do we know that he can even see us? Well, because he has x-ray glasses. So, he knows we're in this cell. We've got to find a way to bust out. I propose that we need cats because cats have night vision. I think they should be part of our solution. What do you think? Ooh, great idea. Maybe if we meow like the cat, they'll come and join us, let us out of the cell, and then we can escape. Yes, here you are. All right. You get the lock open. You get the lock. All right. Whew! We're free. Where should we go? Let's go somewhere where it's really sunny so he can't see us with the x-ray glasses. I say we hop a plane to the Bahamas. The Bahamas? Oh, oh, that reminds me. Do you know this song? Aruba, Jamaica, Jamaica ooh, we take Bermuda, Bahama, come on, pretty mama. This is a good life. Yeehaw! Yeehaw! Thank you very much. <laughs> no problem. Anytime. <laughs> cool. All right. So, take care. And All thanks right. again for joining us and goofing off a bit. <laughs> Thank you, Kristen. Cheers. Bye. Bye. That was a lot of fun for me. I hope you enjoyed it too. Thanks again, Shannon, for that. Especially for the little scene in the end. I hope when we meet the next time, we can just make this little tradition that we just do a little bit of improv wherever we meet. Okay, so I have written out... So Shannon has talked about quite a lot of videos and books and stuff. So I have written out all the links I... By the way, I don't get anything if you buy it through Amazon, so yeah, I'm not pushing it. I just mentioned what she talked about. Now, if you want to, if the topic of the body language interests you, and you can get that free audiobook from audible.com, because audible.com is sponsoring the Positive Psychology Podcast. Now, I haven't listened to it yet, but it's actually in my shopping cart as we speak. I've had it in there for a while, so I knew about the book before we had this little conversation, but now I just felt it was the right time. So now, a review from Brazil, and that's a particularly sweet one. It's a little bit longer, but I will read it out just because he adds to some thoughts about previous episode episodes. So let's get into that. I found out about your podcast a few days ago and wanted to say I'm loving it. And you're so positive that just listening to it, I already feel energized. Keep up with the great work. Knowing myself to be a little bit compulsive, I can predict it won't be long before having listened to them all. LOL. About the last one, the need for speed. It reminded me very often when I rush, I'm not only really late for anything specific, it seems like part of a general feeling that either I should have done more in the past or that I cannot keep up with everything I want to do in the present and the future. 
But this, it is a self-destructive way of not enjoying the present. I appear to be rushing towards something, but in fact, I'm running away from life itself. Another thought I had was that the old man, man you mentioned does things patiently and slowly. Often in workplaces or when doing housework in front of others, we get caught by the social environment telling us you have to look busy. Taking a break or doing things slowly or even stopping to plan and analyze the situation can make us look lazy and unproductive in front of others. But this can also be self-destructive to the working environment since rushing is the way to get things badly done. Well, that's it. Warm regards from Florianopolis, Brazil. Thanks very much, Flavio. In case you didn't catch that, he was talking about episode 62, The Need for Speed. And Flavio, I love that you added something to the episode that, yeah, I feel I should have mentioned that. That's very true. There's this this um, pressure to appear busy all the time. So thanks a lot for mentioning that. And I would like to encourage listeners to follow Flavio's example. So if you have anything to add to the episodes that I didn't cover, I'd love to hear it. All right. Take care. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Positive Psychology Podcast. We're saying goodbye with Happy Yogurt.